0: If we just take a quick look south of the border, we've seen both bullish option trades and bearish option trades exploding in volume in the regional bank sector. And so it looks like there's no real consensus from the market on the path forward in terms of investors positioning both for upside in the sector, but also many investors positioning for either protecting against or profiting from potential further downside in this area.
1: Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.
2: Investor sentiment is divided on whether or not the liquidity crunch that hit U.S. regional lenders in early March is over, or are there still more ripple effects to come for the financial system? On today's episode, Portfolio Managers Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and your host Mackenzie Box discuss how best to position investors' exposure to financial stocks. They also decipher what additional Tier 1 bonds are and the relative safety of these securities within broader portfolios. And finally, some fixed income strategies to consider in the wake of the latest quarter point interest rate hike from the Fed. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at BMOETFs.ca.
3: Hello, and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insights Podcast with our team of experts. Thank you to everyone for continuing to tune in and to provide comments and questions and feedback. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Box, and product at BMO Global Asset Management. Today, I'm joined by Alfred Lee and Chris McKinney, who are both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So thank you to both Alfred and Chris for joining me today. So first, let's get started. There's something that's very topical. Uh, we saw the federal budget uh, was released last evening, and so there's lots and lots of information coming out, out of last night. And we'll just touch on it high level, but before we uh, dive into that, I just want to give everyone the heads up that John Waters at BMO has provided a nice summary write-up about the implications to investors and all of the various changes So that is available on our ETF dashboard. So it's bmoetfs.ca. So if you're looking for a summary about everything from the budget that was released last night, I encourage you all to go to our dashboard to find out more. That's in the taxes and news section. So if you're looking for more, check it out. But with that, uh, Chris, can you just give us an overview of some of the particular implications from an investment standpoint?
0: Sure, and certainly there will be Uh, you know, some macro economic considerations from any federal budget that's released. Uh, At a high level, what we saw from this one is $43 billion of new spending over the next six years. And so to the extent that that uh, impacts economic growth over that time frame, you know, we're expecting slowing economic growth right now. So maybe a little bit of stimulus there to help reduce that slowdown but also on the other hand, how it may impact inflation, uh, of course, could have implications for interest rates and investors uh, more broadly. But just taking a look at the more targeted initiatives that investors might uh, be uh, interested in, largely what we saw was some support for the transition to a clean energy economy. uh, And that would include tax credits, for things like clean electricity producers, uh, carbon capture systems, and clean energy manufacturing as well. And so what the government is doing here is trying to incentivize businesses to accelerate that transition to uh, clean energy sources. And it's something that was widely seen as expected from this government and also almost necessary after we saw similar measures uh, passed by the Biden administration in the US Uh, in what they called the Inflation Reduction Act, um, actually had a lot of incentives around clean energy transition as well. And so for Canada to remain competitive with the U.S. in that area, um, it was widely expected that um, we would see something in that area in the the federal budget. Overall, that's expected to be about $20 billion uh, of incentives. And again, this goes to things like um, if we think about zero emission vehicles and the amount of electric vehicles that are going to be produced over the next several years, you know, the batteries and components that go into that are things that Canada uh, is trying to, uh, you know, again, incentivize businesses to uh, move into those areas. You think of all the different metals that go into batteries. So the mining and production of those metals and the, the, the production of batteries and other components as well is a big part of that. And so this leads naturally to uh, investors looking at uh, things like the BMO Clean Energy Index ETF, the ticker is ZCLN there. And really, I think what the message is for investors is that anyone that's contemplated this type of investment already, we see this commitment from governments both north and south of the border to uh, helping businesses through this transition. And it is really you know, a multi-year, multi-decade transition really that we're gonna be going through. Uh, but I think it really lends support for investors that are either in this area already uh, or are looking to invest in this area um, that we will have that backing from governments through incentives like we've seen uh, released out of the federal budget. And so I think really, again, it it, it is a multi-year, multi-decade type of mega trend uh, is what we've called it in the past. And so investors really just need to keep in mind uh, that it is a sort of longer term investment. Uh, certainly, there could be some payoff over the shorter term, but we've seen volatility in the uh, sector as well. And so it's really for investors that are able to weather that volatility over time uh, in order to come out um, higher. Uh, over the long term. And so that's really, I think, um, the main takeaway uh, from an investment standpoint from that federal budget.
3: Great. Thanks, Chris.
1: Looking for some investment direction? Look no further than the BMO ETF Roadmap, a comprehensive guide to steer clients into the right vehicle to meeting their investment objectives. Visit BMOETFs.ca forward slash ETF roadmap and simply choose a category filter, add a geographic focus, and even select a currency focus to discover the broad suite of BMO ETFs that help put investors on the road to financial peace of mind. Again, that's BMOETFs.ca forward slash ETF roadmap. Next, we'll
3: move to you, Alfred. AT1 bonds have been in the headlines last week, and with Credit Suisse being marked down to zero by the Swiss market regulators, can you quickly explain to our listeners what an AT1 bond is? And then as well, some of the AT1 bonds are held in our BMO Canadian Bank Income Index ETF, ticker ZBI. Which was roughly flat last week, despite all the headlines. So can you maybe explain the difference between AT1 bonds in ZBI relative to those issued by Credit Suisse?
4: Starting with the very basics, when you look at AT1 bonds, essentially that's short for additional tier one bonds. So additional tier one bonds were introduced in the wake of uh, 2008. So the the financial crisis um, back in 2008. So essentially, you know what they were, were bonds that were junior to traditional bonds. So the difference between AT1 bonds and traditional senior issue debt is basically there's a convertibility feature with AT1 bonds. So that convertibility feature is basically um, triggered upon some trigger event. Um, so AT1 bonds are specific to um, banks. So banks issue them. Um, so again, they were in response to uh, the 2008 financial crisis. So the main point of AT1 bonds is that when a bond is facing solvency issues, um, that trigger event allows the issuing bank to remove the debt from its balance sheet, uh, convert that debt into common equity in order to give the bank a better chance in uh, remaining solvent. Um, So the best way to think about that is you know, structurally, an AT1 bond is, is essentially the equivalent of you know, being long a corporate bond that is junior to a senior debt. Uh, but at the same time, you're also uh, short a deep out of the money put option um, on the equity of the issuer. So from a coupon perspective, you know, um, you know, obviously, because you're lower down the capital structure, uh, because you're short that out of the money uh, put option as well, you're going to get a higher yield than the senior debt in order to compensate you uh, for taking on that additional risk. In a normal environment, I will say, um, you know, the, when the solvency of the bank is not a concern, AT1 bonds essentially act like um, a traditional bond, a little bit higher yield than a traditional uh, senior debt, but they essentially trade like traditional bonds. When the solvency of the bank becomes more of a concern, however, you know the likelihood of that bond being converted into a common stock uh, becomes a higher probability. So that means you know that bond, after being converted into common equity, you move lower down in the capital structure. So because of that, you know it does become a concern uh, in the case of you know a scenario like Credit Suisse uh, over the last couple of weeks. But you know overall, to me, AT1 um, bonds weren't the issue at heart. For a traditional bond for, for comparison, you know, when a bank goes into default, uh, you essentially get pennies on the dollar because, you know, essentially you get any kind of recovery value when the bank fails. For an AT1 bond, the bond gets converted into equity. Uh, so you get the common stock and then potentially you're still taking pennies on the dollar. But at least that issuing bank has a better chance of survival because, you know, that debt gets removed from its balance sheet and it it, it converts into common equity at that point. So overall, I went through a lot of articles over the last couple of weeks that were talking about the AT1 bonds uh, specific specific to Credit Suisse. A lot of the headlines were negative. And I think most of the articles, they didn't really have a good understanding of the structure of AT1 bonds, how they worked, and and also the purpose of AT1 bonds as well. Um, You know, like any kind of investment structure out there, the issuer of the instrument is very important. As long as you have a strong issuing bank behind that AT1 bond, then that instrument is going to be very sound. So, you know, to your point, we do hold some AT1 bonds in ZBI, which is our Canadian bank income ETF. I was looking at ZBI over the last couple of weeks. It was trading roughly flat, even in, you know, in during the time when uh, Credit Suisse was going through a lot of its issues. So I think the main point here is that uh, Canadian banks were still very well capitalized. This is another good testament of Canadian banks, you know, being very sound, even while other you know banks around the world are facing a lot of issues, Canadian banks were still holding in very well. Just to highlight ZBI more in detail, ZBI essentially owns traditional bonds, but also has some AT1 holdings as well, both in the preferred share space and also the bond, share, uh, the bond space as well. Uh, the yield to maturity uh, just because it does have um, you know bonds lower down the capital structure you get a yield to maturity of 5.8% so it's a good way for bond investors to get some additional yield in their portfolio but what i like about this etf is that you know the 60% that is invested in bonds you're getting that pull to par effect because you know over the last couple of years bonds have been trading at a discount as we hold them until maturity you're getting that pull to par uh, the same thing with the preferred shares because uh, most of them are going to get called by the issuing bank due to OSP regulation. Um, so this is one a good good one to own in in your bonds out of your portfolio. It's short duration, about two and a half duration. And again, the yield to maturity is about 5.8%. But uh, you know, to your point, AT1 bonds, a lot of negative headlines, but really depends on who the issuing bank is. And the Canadian banks have been uh, very strong over the last couple of weeks compared to the global peers.
3: Great. Thanks, Alfred. Another thing that's very topical in the news right now is U.S. banks. So sticking with that, uh, the index for BMO's Equal Weight U.S. Banks Index ETF, uh, ZBK and ZUB, recently rebalanced. What does the index and portfolio look like going forward and what risks are still present in the space? So, Chris, we'll pass this one to you.
0: Sure, and certainly we have seen a lot of eyeballs on this sector over the last couple of weeks uh, through the the various bankruptcies that we've seen and the failure of uh, two of those regional banks. If we just take a quick look uh, south of the border, we've seen both bullish option trades and bearish option trades exploding in volume uh, in the regional bank sector. And so it looks like there's no real consensus from the market on the path forward, uh, in terms of, again, investors positioning both for upside in the sector, but also many investors positioning for either protecting against or profiting from potential further downside in this area. As you mentioned, the the index uh, that our ETFs here at Bmo follow recently rebalanced. And uh, obviously, Signature Bank and Silicon Valley Bank were removed from the index. But in addition to that, three other of the smaller regional banks were removed as well. And that's simply because the degree to which uh, some of these regional banks have sold off means their market cap uh, is too low to qualify for the index. Uh, And so you'll see many indices with some sort of either minimum liquidity and or minimum market cap rule Uh, In order to make it into the index, it's very common um, and it's to safeguard against um, things like this, where you have companies that might have been large at one point becoming much, much smaller uh, and so uh, removed from the index and therefore removed from our ETFs as well. And so the net result there is that both ZUB and ZBK now have more exposure to larger regionals as well as the diversified um, national banks those major banks such as uh, JP Morgan, Bank of America, et cetera. Um, And so the the end result really is that this becomes a higher quality portfolio than what it was in the past, because again, you're tilting more towards those uh, again, the majors, but also those larger regional banks and many of the much smaller ones um, no longer qualify for the index. And so are not part of that. So again, for investors that are, Um, looking to either add to their positions here or to protect against potential losses. We have those two options, both ZBK, which is unhedged, and then the ZUB, which is hedged to the Canadian dollar, uh, for investors to look at. ZUB also has an options market on it. So, you know, maybe similar to what we've seen in the US, uh, investors holding that and instead of selling selling it out, maybe buying a put option or for investors that don't want to fully invest in the area, uh, potentially buying a call option instead of buying the ETF. And that gives you some upside exposure with a limited downside. One other flavour that we have in this area as well is ZWK, which is the BMO Covered Call US Bank's ETF. Um, and This one has similar exposure to the two index funds. Um, I would say the index funds have about one-third exposure to the diversified majors and about two-thirds exposure to the regional banks. ZWK, is closer to 50-50, so a little bit more exposure into those diversified majors, as well it has the covered call overlay on top of it, which provides that extra layer of income uh, by by trading off a little bit of that growth potential. And so maybe a little bit slightly more conservative positioned than the two index ETFs for investors that want uh, maybe a a slightly higher tilt to those major banks. So three different options there for investors uh, looking in this area. And then just the last thing I would highlight here is that we've actually seen and been reminded of, as you alluded to, the strength of the Canadian banks overall within the global financial system. Um, And in fact, in our Uh, BMO Equal Weight Canadian Bank uh, Index ETF, which is ticker ZEB, We've seen over $800 million of net inflows into that fund since March 8th, since this crisis sort of started south of the border. And so, again, just uh, another data point there showing that investors very, very confident in the Canadian banking system and in the Canadian banking exposure. So lots of different ways for investors to play this uh, financial exposure in North America. Uh, Three different options uh, in the U.S. And then, of course, ZEB and then ZWB, the BMO Equal Weight uh, sorry, the BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks in the ETF.
3: Great. Thanks, Chris.
1: BMO ETFs is proud to launch 10 new tickers with a range of solutions covering fixed income, sector-based covered calls, and inflation solutions. The BMO U.S. Aggregate Bond Index ETF, ticker ZUAG, gives investors access to the broad U.S. market for shorter-duration bonds. Two new covered call funds in energy and health care tickers, ZWEN and ZWHC, respectively, are now available for sector-focused investors. For those seeking inflation-fighting funds, the BMO Global Agriculture ETF or BMO US Tips Index ETFs, tickers ZEAT and TIPS, satisfy both equity and bond solutions to rising consumer prices. Visit BMOETFs.ca for more.
3: And lastly, Alfred, we'll turn this one over to you. Uh, Last week, we saw the Fed's raise rates by another quarter point, uh, which was counter to what some market participants had wanted. The market is now pricing in a Fed rate cut as early as July. So does the Fed's recent bank term funding program make the Fed interest rate policy less relevant? uh, And which areas of the market or ETFs are likely to benefit?
4: I definitely think, you know, to a large degree, um, you know, rate hikes are becoming less of what dictates the market. You know, for one, I think, you know, every incremental move from this point is going to have less of an effect. Um, So for one, I think, you know, a year ago when the overnight rate was 25 basis points and you're increasing rates by another 25 basis points, that essentially is a double on the overnight rate. Uh, But now, you know, with the Fed upper bound limit on their overnight rate is 5%. So an additional 25 basis points isn't really going to move the uh, needle too much. It's very similar to duration impact on a bond. Uh, When you have a bond of low, a low coupon compared to, you know, a bond with a higher coupon, you know, interest rate moves are going to have more an effect on bonds with a lower coupon. Um, So it's very similar to that. But overall, I think the market is, you know, less focused on um, rate hikes right now. For a large part, I think the market is slightly looking at the you know uh, wrong data points uh, to a degree. Unnoticed a for uh, a large part is basically you know the, the bank term funding program that you mentioned uh, that was announced a couple of weeks ago. So a lot of people are comparing this to quantitative easing, which it isn't quite quantitative easing, but it is very similar in terms of the end effect. So just a quick recap of you know why it came about. Uh, We briefly went over this on the uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to go over it in too much detail, but just as a quick recap, you know, when the regional banks, specifically uh, Signature and Silicon Valley Bank, uh, were going through their issues, it was a lot to do with their health and maturity portfolios. So their health and maturity portfolios is essentially, um, you know, their longer term investments. So things like uh, you know, longer term treasuries. a lot of their mortgage-backed securities were held in this portfolio. Um, essentially, it was their deposits uh, that were reinvested in longer duration assets., uh, but because the intent of this portfolio is essentially held to maturity, they're not marked to market like the available for sale um, portfolio that uh, banks also hold as well. Um, so because um, you know if you needed to fund liabilities, with the health and maturity portfolio, the drawback of doing that would be that the entire health and maturity portfolio would have to be marked to market, even if you were to sell one bond. So because of that, if any bank or any of those regional banks had to fund their liabilities by you know, withdrawing from that health and maturity portfolio, it would mark to market the entire portfolio. And the current market value, just because interest rates have gone up in the last year, it wouldn't meet their liabilities. So what the Fed introduced was the bank term funding program, which allowed banks to essentially swap their health and maturity portfolios in exchange for the par value of those portfolios. So the effect on the markets was essentially, you know, the Fed obviously has been busy over the last year trying to remove liquidity from the system through not just raising interest rates, but also quantitative tightening as well. So when you look at the bank's balance sheet over the last couple of weeks, The bank term funding program essentially erased not the entire effects of quantitative tightening, but more than half of the effect of quantitative tightening. So, um, that's, I think, you know, that's a big part of the reason why rates were down over the last several weeks. So, when I look at the US 10 year, it's down roughly about 50 basis points in the last uh, two weeks or so. So, I think in terms of building a portfolio, you know, over the last year, a lot of investors were obviously favoring shorter duration aspects of the market, not just on the bond side of their portfolio, but also in the stock side of their portfolio as well. Um, so, in addition to adding, you know, shorter duration bonds, a lot of cash-like instruments on the equity side. A lot of investors were playing value, low volatility, you know, international stocks and also consumer staple stocks. You know, a lot of stocks that generate cash flow more so in the near term. Uh, rather than, you know, further dated uh, cash flows. But now I think because of the Fed has expanded their balance sheet, um, I think now is a good time to add uh, potentially, you know, some duration risk to your portfolio. So we've seen uh, a lot of investors move back into the long end of the bond market. So going into uh, ETFs like our ZTL, which is our U.S. long-term treasury ETF, uh, also our long federal bond ETF as well, which is ZFL, uh, but on the equity side, I think you know some potential exposures to get you longer duration stock exposure is you know the technology sector. So um, ZWT, for example, which is our uh, covered call technology ETF, I think that's one. That's a good one to get um, some duration exposure into your stock portfolio. With this ETF, we're essentially going into you know larger cap technology names, but we're also writing call options against these positions in order to. Uh, generate yield and to allow investors to uh, monetize that volatility as well. From a factor exposure, one that's been doing very well this year is quality. I think quality also is a good way to maintain a defensive growth-oriented orient- position, but at the same time, also allow investors to get um, you know exposure to some technology stocks uh, in their portfolio, but a lot more you know cash-rich technology names like Apple, Google. Uh, Microsoft and whatnot. So those are some good ways to play the current market at this point. I'm not saying to abandon short duration stocks entirely, uh, but I think at this point it definitely makes some sense to add some duration risk uh, to your portfolio, both in the equity side and the bond side of your portfolio.
3: Great. Thanks, Alfred. So those are all the questions that we have for this week. Uh, So I just want to thank everyone for listening and tuning in and a special thank you to both Alfred and Chris for providing some great insights uh, and just a reminder again to everyone uh, that we did have a John Water summary piece on the federal budget that came out yesterday, uh, and that will be available on our ETF dashboard. So if you're looking for more information about that or any trade ideas or any strategy pieces, I encourage you to visit our dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. And with that, I just want to thank everyone again and have yourself a great day.
2: Thank you. To Mackenzie Box, Alfred Lee, and Chris McCaney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Clean Energy Index ETF, ticker ZCLN, which invests in global companies involved in green technology-related businesses. Our experts also discussed the BMO Equal Weight Banks Index ETF, ticker ZEB, giving investors diversified access to Canada's major financial institutions. And finally, the BMO Long Federal Bond Index (ticker ZFL), which gives investors exposure to long-dated Canadian government bonds. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at BMOETFs.ca. That's BMOETFs.ca.
1: Views from the desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by
2: the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management, Inc. and BMO Investments, Inc. operate.